a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, there are some news headlines out today that you might think are concerning, saying even that Facebook will crack down on foreign-bought political ads in an effort to protect Australia's upcoming election from interference. You, But uh, you might imagine, of course, uh, security and media experts are questioning whether that goes far enough. Election meddling and the, intent, the intentional spread of misinformation supported by access to free, large and easy-to-use social media platforms has been of growing concern globally. In this 21st century age of information and technology, one of the downsides is that the security of our privacy is compromised and we become open to all sorts of outside influences. In light of controversy over Russian interference in US elections, we might be concerned about international influences on our own federal election coming up in May. There are all sorts of other security issues too. Border security, of course, that'll be one of the central planks for campaigning in the upcoming election. Even the recent One Nation sting demonstrates how easy it might be for foreign powers or for foreign lobby groups like the NRA in the US to bankroll particular ideological positions on political policy. Well, many people have fears for the security of our personal details. On Facebook and other social media, or on the idea that the Chinese might be spying on us through our mobile phones, or that foreign investment is selling the farm off to foreign interests. Even security in churches and places of worship has received funding in the federal budget in light of the terror attack in Christchurch. Well, the world does seem to be much a less secure place. That's the sort of thing we'll be talking about today. Dr. Camille Magdaly is a futurist and a Bible teacher. He leads Teach All Nations, a ministry he founded in Australia in 2004. But of course, he teaches all over the world. He's the author of a dozen or so books. And you can hear Camille on Faith in the Future each day on 2020. And uh, you know he does that each day. Uh, we have a program that goes uh, just a couple of hours from now. He's joining us today from the United States, where he is in the state of Idaho. Dr. Camille Magdaly, a special welcome back to 2020. Pleasure, Neil, and hello, Australia. Well, Camille, uh, let me just uh, say for a lot of listeners and so many all over Australia that have been used to hearing you now on a regular basis, uh, visiting cities and towns all around Australia for the Understanding the Times tours over the past four years or so, another one is planned and in just a few months' time you'll be back on the road in Australia for the 2019 tour. Uh, What are your expectations for this year? Well, this will be the fifth year that we've had Understanding the Times Tour in partnership with Vision. Every year has been a blessing. Last year was the best year so far, and I don't expect that to change for 2019. We've made all kinds of friends, Vision's friends, our friends across Australia. 
But it's amazing to see how people are very hungry, not just to know what's going on, but why it's going on, and then understanding God's perspective from prophecy as well as practical exhortation to get serious about one's spiritual life. And the theme for this year's tour is A Tale of Four Cities, Washington, London, Canberra and Jerusalem. Uh, We perhaps will talk some more about that shortly, Camille, but you are a follower of Global Trends. And uh, just in the sorts of discussion that we could get into today, let's try and keep it uh, a little bit orderly so we don't get lost in so much detail that's going on around the world. Because if we're talking about security issues, perhaps a good place to start would be what's happening where you are right now in the United States and the recent controversy that surrounded the investigation into the interference in the 2016 presidential elections. Uh, You've been writing about this, uh, talking about this. No doubt it'll be a part of some presentations that you'll bring in Australia. Uh, What are your thoughts for uh, the recent report that was delivered on the Russian interference into the 2016 presidential elections? Well, the reports are one thing, and the reaction to it, is really another. I'm not particularly surprised at the outcome of the reports. The Trump administration has said consistently and fervently there has been no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. Trump's enemies, they, they, the Democrats, the deep state, and the media as well, have said there has been, there has been. And what I've seen is that once Robert Mueller gave his findings, the anti-Trump side was absolutely in shock. In fact, one of the major pundits just virtually broke down in tears that, oh dear, he might be innocent after all. And there were Pulitzer Prize, at least one major news organization got a Pulitzer Prize for the reporting about an event that apparently did not happen. Remember that Mr. Mueller had a very, very thorough investigation over two years, uh, anywhere from 25 to $40 million, many subpoenas, and You know, it's as thorough as you can get, and that was the conclusion. No collusion. But there's a never-say-die mantra that is coming from the opposition, from Trump's opponents, and what have you. And it really is concerning that it seems they're cleaving to a narrative and don't confuse them with facts. There's a certain sense, isn't there, Camille, here, that this is something of a conspiracy theory that starts these things happening, the ball then gets rolling, then there's all sorts of investigations, and uh, something of a relief for those who are under accusation when that sort of report comes through, and not that everything will have been absolutely squeaky clean, but this idea of conspiracy and the way that things begin to gain momentum these days, uh, fueled by social media. Uh, this is something we can expect for the future. What are your thoughts on the way these things really spiral out of control? Well, it is very concerning, and can I just remind all my Christian listeners, which are many, that we do need to take a higher road. First of all, we are to pray for those in an authority. Whether we voted for them or not is beside the point. And it actually is a benefit for all of us if they succeed as the higher authority because we live quiet and peaceable lives. This is uh, from uh, 1 Timothy, I believe, chapter 2. So we really want our leaders to succeed 
whether we particularly support them or not, because it's in all of our best interests. We seem to forget that point, but we need to come back to what the Word of God says. And as far as going out of control, I think really, basically, as I have said for a long time, what we're seeing in this cultural civil war, which I do comment on in the Understanding of Times tour, that ultimately it is a spiritual battle, and that ultimately the weapons to counter it are also spiritual, and that we should be believing God for a spiritual revival, which is really the only solution to the discord and disharmony happening in the public square. I think I can hear you saying, as a Christian believer, hold steady on the virtues and those things that have shaped your character, on the scriptures, of those things that are not changing, because these days are shaky days. Coming back to this Mueller report, which talked about Russia and the influence on the election, uh, I note that he did discover there was a couple of very important issues. One of them was the dissemination of disinformation and social media campaigns uh, that caused social discord. And then, of course, there was the computer hacking issues. And all of these things are, you know, I guess they come under this whole issue of fake news. Uh, but this disinformation thing, Camille... Uh, if you're a holder to truth, uh, you've got to be able to resist disinformation. What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely, Neil. And can I just again remind all our listeners, if you are a believer in Christ, Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Word of God is truth. We need to be, how should I say, zealous forgetting the truth of a situation, whether it goes with our ideology or not, or our political preferences or not. I just was reminded that one of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not bear false witness. And the last thing we want to do is pass on uncorroborated, unsubstantiated, basically gossip. We do not want to be conduits of such things, because we become culpable in that before Almighty God. So, you know, a little bit of the fear of the Lord will do wonders, at least for God's people, <laughs> in terms of standing for a higher order, or a higher standard, I should say, and basically letting our light shine. So, no, we should be discerning, we should be, as those demanding truth, again, whether it's convenient or not, is irrelevant, and we need to get our facts right, and if something is not properly sourced or cited, we need to be very careful before we enunciate it and pass it on. Camille, the idea of fake news uh, or of international meddling in elections, uh, the idea of uh, raising uh, all sorts of uh, scare campaigns, uh, the way that there is an influence on policies, uh, just reflect for us on how things have been developing in the U.S. because it does appear that even though uh, there might be all sorts of influences that come in elections, uh, where there are international uh, meddling in elections, it fuels a new radicalism because uh, false news, fake news, uh, is capturing the hearts and minds of 
a certain set of people and uh, radicalism seems to be on the rise. What are your thoughts on the effects of meddling and the way that it affects nations? Okay, sure. Uh, Look, meddling in elections, be it Russian, Chinese or otherwise, is, is a possibility. The Mueller probe, of course, was going further and, and investigating whether the Trump campaign deliberately colluded with the Russians. And, of course, the conclusion was there was no, no further indictments because basically there was no collusion. I believe that, yes, what's happening is a radicalization. Now, some people will say it's on both sides. The left is getting more leftist and the right is getting more alt-right. I'm not 100% sure about the right. I think we need to check that out a little bit more. But definitely on the left, they are getting more, uh, more extreme. In the United States, for example, I've lost count how many Democrats are putting up their hands to run for president. Remember in 2016, on the Republican side, there were 17 candidates, including Donald Trump. I believe the Democrats, if they haven't passed that 17 number yet, they're, they're about to. And it is, it is remarkable. Most of the declared candidates have what they would say are mainstream values, but really, if you look at it, they are extreme positions. And apparently some of the more, how should I say, moderate Democrats, and that is a relative term in any case, in any sphere, they're now looking to Joe Biden, the former vice president, age 76, as somebody who would be a little bit more tame compared to <laughs> some of the declared candidates already. So, yes, there is a extremism coming in. But again, I personally believe, like in everything else, it's spiritually charged. And therefore, we as believers, and particularly spirit-filled believers, should use the weapons God has given us of intercession, of praise, of worship, of thanksgiving, of fasting, it does do wonders, as I'm sure you know, Neil. When you say spiritually charged, sometimes we disconnect our spiritual faith with the things that are going on, and we need to be reminded of these things so often, that uh, that there are spiritual forces at work, and that's something that we know as Christian believers. So when you talk about being spiritually charged in an environment that is fueling radicalism, uh, that radicalism is perhaps what is leading to these more extreme agendas that we're seeing, whether it's, uh, as you say, the far left or, uh, as uh, you also indicate, a far right. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Because this reminder that there is a spiritual battle on is significant for Christian believers, particularly as we do pray, as you said, for whether those uh, leaders, uh, we voted for them or not, we need to be praying for them. Mm, absolutely. I have been saying for years as one that teaches on Bible prophecy that one of the things we look for or be aware will happen is what is called intensity of living, that people will seemingly go through their normal routine, but with much more intensity than normal or that, or that is warranted. And I believe that's what we're seeing right now, and especially in the public square. So... You know, most people are not really aware of the spiritual forces. Even many Christians are probably a little bit oblivious. We should be aware, because that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us, lead us, guide us, and 
help us to discern what's happening. But needless to say, I find that not many are aware, and we should be, and that's part of what I do in the ministry of going around and sharing what God's purposes are. But back to the point, Neil, is that we are in probably a far more spiritually potent time than possibly I've ever seen in my lifetime. And to me, rather than getting concerned unduly, I think we should be aware, we should be prayerful, but on the other hand, we shouldn't worry either, because I really do believe that God is in control, and that by our spiritual devotion of prayer, fasting, and, and the like, we, uh, we work with God to see that His kingdom will be magnified in the midst of all the intensity. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Leave a note on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Dr. Camille Magdaly, our guest, talking about global trends. We've got an election on the way here, uh, talking about things that have happened in the United States, trends that are happening there, trends that are happening too uh, in the UK and Europe. And of course, uh, Camille Magdaly, the Brexit uh, there are developments there that are all concerning as well. And around these sorts of issues of security, uh, what are your thoughts for developments in the UK and around the Brexit? Well, the Brexit is uh, very much under assault at the moment because the United Kingdom Parliament, House of Commons, has three times rejected the withdrawal agreement that was called up by the Prime Minister Theresa May with the EU. Now, there are some, some serious questions about this withdrawal agreement, but the fact is what the withdrawal agreement did is it really introduced a transitional phase after Brexit so that they're still tied to the EU for at least another couple of years, plus, plus the divorce agreement, because that's what the withdrawal is, was going to cost them a minimum of 39 billion pounds, almost like alimony payment. And so, and there was issues with the Irish border and what they call the backstop. Anyway, they're still trying to come to an agreement because the parliament doesn't want what is called no deal to happen. Well, basically, come Friday, the 12th of April, if the European Union does not agree to an extension, then Britain will enter into a no deal. Now, there is a point of thought that no deal is not a big deal. It might actually be really good. First of all, you'll save the 39 billion pounds that is part of the divorce settlement. Britain would then revert to World Trade Organization rules rather than EU single market uh, rules, and that basically you just get on with it. Uh, I am reminded, because I do know a little bit about British history, that this country has gone through so many things in its long era, from Norman invasions to Nazi blitzkriegs to decapitation of a king to, you know, abdication crisis. So I figure if they survived all that and thrived, then what's a, what's a Brexit to a country like Britain? But nevertheless, there will be a lot of toing and froing. Uh, there'll be an 11th hour reprieve, perhaps. But, you know, the other thing, Neil, that people aren't aware, there's been a lot of heavy-duty, spirit-filled intercession 
for Brexit. And I'm reminded of the promise of James chapter 5, that the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. If Brexit is from the Lord, and there's been a lot of prayer in that regard, then we have to trust that God, in his faithfulness, will answer those prayers and give a smooth transition from EU membership to being outside the EU. But, uh, yeah, we're still watching and praying, but... You know, we need to be prepared for any eventuality. There is also the slight chance they will cancel Brexit, but that's a very politically risky thing because the whole country is so used to the fact that we're leaving, even those that voted to stay, we're leaving. So to reverse that would be rather catastrophic. Well, of course, uh, the people responded in the referendum and uh, there were sentiments, there were feelings, there were issues and some of those, I imagine, were around security, which what we're talking about today, Camille. Uh, remind us yes. some of those issues because if we're talking about security of nations. Uh, this was one of the issues that was a concern to people who did vote yes for the Brexit. Well, the issue was immigration or unfettered, just come on all down immigration to Britain. And I think one of the things that caused the British people to pause was when Angela Merkel gave the wink and nod and 1.1 million migrants poured into Germany, mostly from the Middle East and North Africa. It was very disorderly. It was very chaotic. And the British looked from the other side of the channel and says, look, if we don't do anything, this could be happening to us too. So that 19, or sorry, 2015, excuse me, 2015 migrant rush, as it were, I think really caused them to think twice about their EU membership. And it's not just in Britain. It's, uh, there's also other countries in Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, that are saying, hey, you know, we don't want a migrant free-for-all. So that is not a racism thing in most cases. It is a security thing. So you've got delays that are happening for Brexit now, and I imagine that this is not something that you would want to rush, and uh, there are those who are trying to rush the Brexit and others who are trying to delay the Brexit. Uh, what are your thoughts for what might come perhaps in the coming months? If they delay the Brexit... It's going to cost Britain more money, plus they'll be up for running candidates for the European Parliament, which will be in May, around the same time perhaps as an Australian federal election. That is not a complication they need. So it's, they technically, Neil, are not rushing anything. Theresa May gave the, uh, how should you say, the pink slip or the notice to vacate over two years ago. I believe it was of the 26th of March, 2017. She invoked Article 50, and they've been working on it ever since. Not an easy process, but then when you've been married to the EU for 46 years, of course it's not going to be easy. Of course it's not going to be simple. But they've had two years to work on it, and they have been to the best of their ability from what I could tell. Okay, let's talk borders just quickly because only uh, just a couple of minutes out from news. Uh, you've got uh, the Brexit, and as you say, part of that initially, in the initial sentiments uh, when the referendum uh, was 
in favour of the Brexit, there was a certain sense in which security and securing borders was important. Culture is important here, Camille, because there is a certain sense in which you've got open, porous borders. The culture of a, of a nation is watered down. Was that something that is a concern and continues to be a concern in the UK? I'm not sure how much of a concern watering down of culture, but I do know that the dismembering of British sovereignty was a big, big concern because EU law basically dominated in Britain far more than British law, something like 59% versus 41%, 59% EU law coming from Brussels versus 41% British law coming from Westminster. So the erosion of national sovereignty was a big issue. And yes, British identity was was also at stake here. And I think some of the people had that in mind when they voted in 2016. So yes, as far as the culture, British culture is in a sense in flux because of uh, migration, a lot of it legal, and a lot of it coming from the EU as well, because of the... Uh, the Schengen Agreement, or not even the Schengen Agreement, the, the free movement of peoples in the EU, EU membership. Camille, I need so, to cut across yes, because we're about that. to go to news, and we'll talk some more in the next hour. Of course, the New Zealand crisis around the terror attack. Uh, that shooter, in fact, has appeared in court even again today uh, via a video link and uh, has been remanded in custody until the 14th of June. But uh, you were out of the country when these things began to unfold. What were your thoughts as to what was going on in New Zealand, a place we all perceived was a safe place? Well, sure. It's a very tragic event, to say the least. And we should, of course, mourn at the loss of innocent lives. New Zealand could rightly be called for most of the perspective of most of the world, at the ends of the earth, and a very quiet, peaceful country. So to have this kind of thing happen is very jarring, to say the least. I believe that, of course, while we mourn for the loss of innocent lives, Muslim people minding their own business in the house of worship and being viciously attacked like that, a few things come to mind that religious persecution in general has been on the increase worldwide. There are Muslim people being assaulted in Muslim countries by terrorist groups uh, at different places. It's almost like between Nigeria and Pakistan, an intra-Muslim civil war, or even a little minor world war. Just look what's happened in Syria as a, a perfect example of this kind of thing. But also anti-Semitism is on the rise. I think that is quantifiable and concerning. But also, Neil, anti-Christian persecution has been on the rise. But what really concerns me is that, particularly from the Christian point of view, a lot of these events where literally dozens and hundreds of people that are Christian are being killed for no other reason than their faith, and it's going to be very little reported in the media. Oh, and even sometimes the churches aren't speaking up enough about brothers and sisters in Christ suffering in other parts of the world, and that really does need to change. For example, in Nigeria, the Fulani, who are a Muslim herding people, are encroaching on people's land, 
and uh, if they don't move over, they just kill them. And a lot of these being killed are, are Christian people. There appears to be religious overtones in this conflict. But again, we hardly hear anything about it except through independent news sources that are dedicated to highlighting the plight of persecuted Christians. So I believe we need to be concerned for people regardless of their religion, but I would say that especially Christians who are suffering deserve our not just sympathy, but our attention and our advocacy, and where possible, our help. This issue, Camille, of course, all people are created in the image and likeness of God. And so the loss of life, whether people are religious or even not religious, and no matter what particular religion they belong to, they all deserve our equal mourning when there are such tragic events like this that we saw in Christchurch. But as you rightly, I think, bring a context here, Uh, that this is a global phenomenon, this rise of attacks against people of religion. And as you identify, uh, the issues that go on in Muslim nations between Islamic groups and, of course, the uh, senseless slaughter of Christians, uh, which is a huge uh, and uh, an, 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 an issue that, uh, as scandalous as it is, that it's ignored by so many people. Uh, this is a big challenge, and this is something of a global trend. Are you expecting this to continue to increase? Or, uh, you know, some people would say, I hope it all goes away. But uh, really, what are, you, what are your thoughts for what's coming for the future with these sorts of issues? Neil, there's no question that anti-Semitism, anti-Christian persecution, and the like will increase unless we do something about it. It's not going to go away. Wishful thinking is not sufficient. We need to do something. We need to pray. We need to advocate. And where possible, we need to help in practical ways. But no, it is not going to go away all by itself. Uh, This idea of advocating, of course, this comes to the fact that we've got an Australian election that's coming up. And uh, there are still, of course, a lot of Christians who either sit on the fence or sit on one side of the fence that says uh, we don't do anything to do that uh, sort of advocating because that sounds a little bit like too much getting involved in a political process, uh, getting your hands dirty even, or putting yourself at risk of criticism. Uh, These sorts of things are very significant. When you talk about this being in the court of the Christian, no doubt there's a prayer influence here, but there's also a necessity for some level of uh, activity that actually addresses some of these things. And this is not just uh, leaders, this is all of us, isn't it? Well, for sure. The fact is we need to be ever prayerful about all kinds of circumstances, not just our own personal needs, but the needs of the community and the needs of the nation and the needs of those that are suffering, particularly, as I said earlier, for their faith. So there has to be that. But also, I believe it is really important that we are an informed people, because how can our voting or our involvement be meaningful if we don't know what's going on? And worst of all, if we act like we don't care, we better care, because the fact is, what happens even halfway around the world does affect us in Australia. And then the other thing is, I have a simple philosophy. I I'm I'm not as one to get overly involved or really 
outwardly involved in political things because of my pastoral responsibilities. But I do believe that it's perfectly in order and God-honoring that anything that affects faith and family, we do need to speak up. Because if we don't believe faith and family is worth fighting for, then I think there's something really wrong with us. I like your sentiment, inaction makes it look like you don't care, uh, something we all have to take note of. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Bev in Brisbane in Queensland. Hello, Bev. Welcome along. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Just want to make, make a comment. Listening to Camille this morning, the battle isn't with flesh and blood, powers and principalities. And do you think that we should encourage our Prime Minister to move our embassy back to Jerusalem? Uh, Good thought. Uh, Camille, your thoughts for Bev? (laughs) Well, uh, uh, moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem is not just a political issue, although that is very much primary. It's also a financial issue, too. And uh, I was on a plane recently And an Aussie guy came, and he just basically set the record straight. He says, we're not moving the embassy because it'll cost. And he seemed to have a figure in his head. It sounded, well, very high, but he seemed to act like he knew what he was talking about. So there is that, too. I just believe, uh, as far as moving the embassy is concerned, uh, we should do it if we believe it's going to make a difference in the peace process. Remember... One of the reasons the United States made the move, and they literally did move the embassy, is because, first of all, they wanted to recognize reality, because Israel does function as a nation out of Jerusalem. But the other thing that came up, President Trump said, is what we have been doing for decades isn't working. It's not bringing peace. It's not reconciling. It's not doing anything of the kind. So why do we keep doing the same thing if it's not bringing us closer to a resolution. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said on that. So, yeah, I think we, we should be open to that possibility. Of course, if there is a change of government, that's not going to happen. Uh, Bev, was that a good answer for you? It was, Neil, yes. And, and uh, Scott Morrison did mention at one stage that he was thinking to do that and then stepped back from it. And uh, I, I kind of got, I got my own, you know... A belief on why that was but I think we should encourage him to actually take that step somewhere well, we've got to step up to the mark and meet this battle full on Bev thank you so much for your input today on 2020 our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 you can join in our conversation let's talk through some issues here because there is a divide in Australia Camille And I know that you like to think about, talk about, describe and help people understand this issue between conservatism and progressivism and uh, where you've got your conservative style government uh, that we have uh, in power at the present time, but an election on its way and a progressive style government as the opposition is at the present time under Bill Shorten, they do have some different ideas about the nation of Israel. And so as Bev raises this, issue with the uh, idea of moving an embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, what are your thoughts about things that might uh, might uh, happen uh, if there is a change of government coming up in May? Well, look, the last time I checked, I 
understood that Scott Morrison did recognize West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. He did get not only domestic flack from the labor opposition, but also from Indonesia and its president and, and, and the like, although I understand Indonesia did sign the trade agreement that they intimated they might not sign if we did. So I, I may have missed out something here, but I understood that there was from a recognition of Jerusalem to a recognition of West Jerusalem. We, but I understand, too, Bill Shorten has said that it, when he becomes prime minister, if and when, he would uh, reverse Scott Morrison's decision and revert back to having Tel Aviv as the place where our embassy continues to be located. That's one thing. There also uh, has been serious talk, I think, that might be the right description, of recognizing Palestine if a labor government comes into power. And there is of interest, I read this out of Israel, that there was concern from Israel's point of view at the advent of a shortened government in terms of Australia's relation to the Middle East. I guess the one good thing to say is I'm glad Israel recognizes that Australia is important in the whole scheme of things. And, and Australia, for the most part, has been very friendly to the Jewish state over the years. But it is a concern that it will be less friendly if there's a change of government. Of course, that remains to be seen, but it's something to bear in mind. Camille, not too much longer left in our conversation. The time goes by so quickly because as we're talking about issues of security, whether that be national security, as has been the focus of our conversation today, I know that there must be something that comes into this idea of eternal security because as Christian believers who say, of course, there is a God and he has made a way for us to experience some level of security in an eternal sense. What are your thoughts for the way that we sometimes want to put our trust in the horses and the chariots or the governments of this world when in actual fact to be able to navigate a pathway forward uh, to be able to do that with some level of courage and security, it really comes down to our identity in Christ. What are your thoughts on eternal security? Well, of course, that's a, a doctrine as well, Neil, as far as uh, losing salvation or keeping salvation. But I will address it from personal security and the issues that you have brought up already. Many people are a bit concerned when a place like Christchurch, New Zealand, can be hit with a terrorist outrage, to which rises the question, is there any place on Earth that is actually secure anymore? Well, the truth is, if you look at history, security has always been a challenge. The Western world has been very blessed after the Second World War, but even during the Cold War, security was an issue. We tend to forget that, but I mean, we were always not that far away from the precipice of a nuclear Armageddon. Thank God those days have finished, but then new challenges have arisen. So what I'd like to share with all our listeners is what I've learned, because having a ministry where I travel a lot, and I do go to some places that are not known for being overly secure, but I've taken to heart Psalm 91, which has been a very, very comforting and wonderful travel insurance policy as far as I'm concerned, where it says in verse 2, that God is my refuge and fortress, and my God in him 
will I trust? If we cannot trust God here and now, Neil, when do we plan to start? Because it's ultimately in the trust of God that we find our perfect security. Now, it will happen the way God wants it to happen, but no matter what, he will take care of us. He will work everything to our benefit. We will always be better off than if we didn't trust in God and instead put our trust in chariots, horses, and in just plain people. So I constantly do this on the understanding of the time store, and I'll do it afresh here on your program, 2020, and that is I urge our listeners to put the things of God, the kingdom of God, and trust in God as number one. Because when that happens, you will be so inundated with peace in heart and mind, it almost will be irrelevant what's happening externally. Nobody can take the peace that God gives in his place. It is like a bodyguard for your heart and mind. So, again, I urge people, Psalm 91, verse 2, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and John 14, verse 26 and 27, these are promises of peace, promises that God will take care And you can just get on with life knowing that he's with you always to the end of the world. Camille, there is a temptation, isn't there, to retreat to your armchair as a spectator to things that are going on. I wonder if you've got thoughts on individuals and the way we would conduct ourselves as there is a continuing uh, move towards uh, you know, a less secure environment uh, nationally, perhaps even in our own communities. Uh, what are your thoughts about the idea of those who might retreat to the armchair and those who might uh, engage in some way being proactive? Well, there is a phrase about retreating to safe space. And especially for younger people, they don't like all the fracas going on, so they want to be in the safe space. Look, I do understand that sentiment, but we don't want to be missing out on life either. If we retreat unduly and unnecessarily, we are putting our lives on hold, and we really are taken out from where the action is. I believe that we're called to be courageous people, and courage is not something we're automatically endowed with, it's a decision we make to obey God. More than once in Scripture, God tells us to be strong and courageous. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. This is in Joshua, this is in the Psalms. So why don't we take the road of courage, which is something God will give us with a strengthened heart when we step out in faith. I found that when you do that, you not only get life's best, and you are part of the action, and you have personal fulfillment, whereas if you stay retreated in the safe space, you miss out just about on everything. And safe spaces really aren't always that safe either. Sometimes they are more vulnerable than just stepping out in faith with God at your side. Well, time has beaten us again, and uh, listeners will realise there is so much depth to talk about here, But and even in this longer form of uh, opportunity that we have on 2020, we can't cover a whole lot of ground that we'd like to, but Camille, always love getting your insights. 
and I know that there'll be listeners who'd be excited about the Understanding the Times tour, and it'll start again in August. It'll be the fifth Understanding the Times tour, and uh, no doubt the schedule is well and truly underway in confirming those things. Uh, I'm not sure whether uh, you're open to uh, other other uh, perspective venues, uh, but uh, uh, listeners might like to contact you if uh, if uh, they want to make an invitation for you to come to their town. Uh, Teach All Nations, the website is tan.org.au. The theme for this year's uh, tour is A Tale of Four Cities, Washington, London, Canberra and Jerusalem. Uh, it's a gruelling time for you on tour. Camille, are you and your wife Leanne looking forward to getting back on the road here in Australia? Oh yes, it's always fun and exhilarating and we make friends wherever we go. So yes, we enjoy it. So uh, there'll be dates, no doubt, and venues that will appear not only on Vision websites but also on the Teach All Nations website, tan.org.au. I'll just remind listeners too, uh, there's plenty of resources, books and DVDs available in the Vision store, vision.org.au. There'll be a link there for Vision store, the sorts of teaching that you can get from Dr. Camille Majdali and the Understanding the Times tour getting underway in August, tan.org.au, and uh, keep an eye on the Vision website as well. Uh, always such a great pleasure talking to you, Camille. Uh, look forward to catching up with you personally when you're back in Australia a little later this year. I know you're in the US today. You'll probably be heading to the UK shortly and you do those uh, significant tours to Israel. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil, and God bless Australia. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.